Hello, my name is Casper Oliver, and welcome to The Queer Thesperience. I know that this is a little out of schedule, but I realize that it is Ace Week this week. We are wrapping up Ace Week, and I just wanted to get this interview out because not only was it done with a dear friend of mine where we discussed being asexual in theater, but this interview is the interview that made me realize that I am ace. Uh, during this interview, I was still identifying as bi, but it was very soon after this interview that I actually uh, re-adopted the term ace, so I felt that this would just be really cool to share. And it's also almost Halloween, so you know what that means. <laughs> just so you all know, I make a horror audio drama, horror comedy audio drama called Jar of Rebuke, which I will play the trailer for at the end. And guess what? The main protagonist, played by me, is also asexual. So yeah, just a little shameless plug for more ace queer content. Uh, but yeah, more importantly, continue on with the interview. Hello, and welcome to The Queer Thesperience. I am your host, Casper Oliver. I use he, him, and they, them pronouns. I am a bisexual, transmasculine, non-binary man, question mark. Um, <laughs> and I am a entertainer of many sorts, uh, stage, immersion, film, and now podcasting. <laughs> and joined with me, I met, uh, this is someone that I met because for a brief time, they were in my troop before they went to New York. <laughs> and if this is how I'll snag them again, then this is how I shall do it. Please introduce yourself. Uh, hello, podcast world. Uh, my name is Kaylee Horowitz. Uh, I use she, her, hers pronouns. Um, and I am uh, queer and also asexual. Uh, ace, ace Demi, it's that wonderful umbrella of like, this is many things, many different ways to experience this. Yeah, and you do all sorts of acting. I, I do. I uh, grew up a theater kid. Uh, my first musical was at 12 years old and Bah Humbug, the musical adaptation of A Christmas Carol, uh, if you're looking for that next holiday classic. Um, <laughs> uh, but I did uh, theater and musicals uh, and dance. I, I took a lot of dance lessons uh, until uh, basically all the way through high school. I was lucky enough to major uh, in performance and got my Bachelor of Fine Arts uh, in performance uh, in theater uh, at Auburn University, War Eagle. Um, and for the last two-ish years now, I've been uh, for one year an acting apprentice working in a professional company and then just the year after boots on the ground, hitting it running and auditioning for things, working many, many different gigs, uh, yeah. including the Murder Mystery Company, uh, which is where I met Casper, <laughs> um, as well as wearing many other hats in the uh, theater and entertainment and teaching uh, industry as well. Yeah, and I, 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 there are some auditions that I like just will always remember. And yours was one of them because of the amount of voices you could do. And <laughs> you were one of two, two people that have ever auditioned through me that when you played a distraught character, you collapsed to the floor. And that was the moment I was like, oh, yes, you're getting a call back. <laughs> I was you like, know, just go for it. In that moment, why not? Yeah, and it stuck out. It was great. <laughs> so, and one of the things we're focusing on, one of the many things, is mm -hmm. you mentioned being ace, and yes. um, that kind of just interesting ties that that has had 
with your acting career, whether on stage or off stage? Yeah. Um, it was definitely one of those things I never figured out much of myself as a kid. Uh, a lot of people I, I've met later on have kind of had those revelatory moments in, in like their early adolescence. I was, it just went right over my head for the most part. Um, I, I got super, super into cosplay, geek and anime culture when I was 13. So I was very just preoccupied of this is a cool character. I just want to be them. It wasn't necessarily a, I, there was something about every character that I related to. Um, but I think like having been in quarantine now, being able to reflect on a lot of personal stuff going, okay, maybe it wasn't, I just like this character in an id, like any id attraction kind of thing. Some people are like, oh, I want to cosplay them because they're hot or like I can make that work or whatever. Some people, it's a very personal attachment. And I think that was the beginning of realizing like maybe this is a general just queer sense of just these are really interesting people because it was for me both male identifying and female identifying characters. But then I didn't think much of that ever, ever again. And then finally in college, having friends that were like, that were super gay or re like really embracing that identity versus kind of just like not talking about it because you live in the South and you don't always know who you're talking to. Yep. Um, but one of my very, very good friends to this day uh, is demisexual. And they were one of the people that kind of like explained it a little bit more to me because I had always heard the term asexual but didn't know what it meant. And putting those pieces together and realizing just because, oh, I know I have a specific type uh, of person that I'm attracted to or think I'm attracted to, like it doesn't have to be a, a heterosexual or allosexual normative uh, or narrative, I guess, of, of what that is. Yeah. So it's, it's, always, it's been a big puzzle game, basically, of, oh, here's a piece. Oh, that goes here. And that makes sense because this matches all these other pieces. <laughs> Yeah, and that's, you know, some people know when they're young. Like, mm -hmm. I, I knew that I liked people of all genders from a very, very young age, but, like, the whole being trans thing, like, didn't hit until later. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it all also does have a lot to do with exposure. Yeah. Like, the only reason that I figured out I was queer at a young age is because I knew it was a thing. Um, mm. Theater people, my mom was by you know so it was like yeah. just this whole thing but like i didn't know anyone who was trans so i didn't know that was a thing until i got older and i was like oh, oh that that's what this is okay so yeah um and you kind of touched on when we were chatting uh, about what to discuss the interesting play that your um being under the asexual umbrella has mm -hmm. had play with you performing uh like romances and tensions and stuff on mm -hmm. stage it's it's always very interesting staging any kind of romance in general because i know some people in my in my college career that 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 stage that showmance hit hard uh and i mean i i was i was joking about this a second ago my friend group uh and i have joked and questioned sometimes some of our professors that one of my friends and I were cast in romantic relationships on stage at least four times, maybe six in either a class or like in shows. Uh, so I was lucky in the sense that I got to keep working with the same person and we were like, we were comfortable working with each other. We were like, okay, we're going to go over this. We know what to expect in these moments. But 
because again, what you were saying earlier about just figuring out those terms and figuring out that language, I still didn't fully understand it. So it was like having a foggy lens in some way because I, I'm a very heady actor. I'm very like, I have to process and make sense of this logically and figure out, okay, this is how character whoever is reacting to this. And to still be kind of just in, like Kaylee's in her own just asexual lens versus realizing how maybe most other people are viewing this, this stage relationship in something more allosexual and not having that language until after the fact made me go, oh, that's, there's where I was missing things. Like it was like doing the blocking, doing the, the, the scene work was fine, but there always felt like some kind of wire was just disconnected a little bit. Or like there was a question in the back of my mind going, but why do we care about this right now? There are so many other things at stake. Like um, I was lucky enough to play Antigone uh, in Ennui's version of the script. And there's a scene that she has with, um, with with her lover, um, what did I say? Haven. No, it is Haven. Uh, I'm forgetting every other character in that show except for Creon. Um, <laughs> All good. Um, yes, uh, Haven, uh, who is? Um, wait, yes, yes, no, it is Haven. <sighs> Sorry, words are hard. Um, <laughs> All good. I don't have a script. I can't words. It's okay. Um, so she is, she's engaged to essentially Heyman, and in this version of the script, they only get one scene together, and it's this, like, he is trying to convince her, like, I, I love you, I want you to stay, you're, you're freaking me out, like, you're, because she's just, you know, done everything that sets the play in motion and buried her brother, which she's not supposed to. But, and there's supposed to be this, like, romantic tension between the two of them, but I, one of the things I liked about her was her very heady nature, and this very intellectual heavy psychological kind of like, I have just committed a crime, but I'm doing this for the reasons of opposing a fascist government, et cetera, et cetera. So it was that like, our director like kept giving me notes about that, that I was like, I'm trying to find the romance here, but the world is at stake. And like, I, it's, again, I didn't quite get the difference of lens, I think, for how the two of us were interpreting what that moment should be. Right. Um, which always, it, it wasn't awkward playing the stage romance, but it was awkward in that, like, I I want to understand why I'm doing this as, as a good actor should. You should know yeah. why you're doing the things on stage you're doing. But it was that, like, one missing piece of, like, why? Why am I so, like, why am I letting him catch me up in this moment right now? I, like, some piece was missing there uh, that kind of, like, lingered in the back of my mind for a while so I, I think just definitely figuring that out okay maybe that's where the line between Antigone and Kaylee was supposed to stop was she for for as courageous and intellectually like uh, driven as an individual that she is she's still like 15 16 and maybe she like really still is like very much attracted to this guy even in the moment where her world is crashing down on her and she has that it's that's what makes it harder for her to pull away is that no like she does love him but like it's what is the more important of the two right now um so it's just kind of like a oh man i wish i could go back and fix that now (laughs) 
Yeah. Now understanding that. Well, it's, it's times like those that you use to like learn, you know, mm-hmm. I, I am a firm believer that every actor takes, takes a little bit of a character for themselves and also puts mm-hmm. a lot of themselves into the character. Mm-hmm. Um, like, as I've said multiple times to people in the troupe and also on the podcast, like when I give for, for example, our murder mystery characters, they don't have fleshed out backstories so I give them backstories. Most of them are queer. Most of them are trans. <laughs> and so that it just kind of, it, it helps that connection, you know? Right. Um, it's like, okay, if I make this guy a closeted trans guy, it's like, well, he's not closeted. Like he's trans, but people think he's cis, you know? Mm-hmm. And kind of living that. It's like, well, I can understand that. Okay. Da, da, da. Um, but when you don't have that connection and it's like imperative to the character right. for that moment to happen, then yeah. And honestly, like, a lot of what you're saying is reminding me of talks I've had with my fiance. She is Demi. And mm-hmm. just a lot of what you're saying sounds very similar to like when she was realizing it. Yeah. Um, the whole like, I like this person. They're cool. They're aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. I must be like physically attracted to them because that's what everyone around me is. Mm-hmm. And then when you get older going, oh, oh no, I, I literally just liked the person. Like, right. But if you don't have the language for it, especially because asexuality is not never really touched on. It's not. It's one of those like, and I, I think I don't have a very accurate scientific study to prove this, but I definitely am of the belief that more people are on the ace spectrum than realize. Yeah. Uh, just because like I, you know, when you're, when you're in high school and you're like, oh my gosh, boys, girls, people, ah, uh, and you might be super, super about the idea of dating. Like I was very like, I, I maybe a little bit too romanticized, but like really into the idea of having a boyfriend and going on dates. And I, I had, I dated a couple guys in high school. Like we never had sex. Yeah. Made out, maybe, but like there was no sex. There was, yeah. That was not the thought on my mind where looking back, I'm like, uh, probably was for them. Okay. Uh, it's sort of that, mm, glad we never got far enough to have that talk. Um, but, but like not having that language and sort of growing up expecting that maybe you're just waiting for the one, uh, and, and maybe not having ever a, a moment of like, there's, I'm not, mm, it's not happening. Like there are still people that I find attractive. There are still people that's like, maybe we could get along, go out. I don't know. But it's it's weird to experience when you don't have that because it almost feels like a is something broken and it's not. But with I always it always fascinates me how like your brain when you don't have someone either to teach you the language or you have no access to understanding what the language means, your brain is constantly working through a state of having to reteach itself something it never knew existed, which creates fear and terror but you're probably on the right path. Like when you have to teach, reteach yourself, like, no, this can be a thing, but what is this thing we've never, ex- what is this? <laughs> like yeah. having, having someone with that language definitely helps. Otherwise, like if you have to do it alone, it's like, it, it's your, it's your soggy wad of bacon in your bone Mecca trying to reprocess the world around it and understanding, no, this is okay. This is, this is just how I am functioning now. And now I have words for it. 
Yeah. Sorry, soggy wad of bacon in your meat mecca. That I, that's... I want that. I want that tattooed on my body. Um... Maybe a little existential, but I like it. No, that's right up my alley. <laughs> but no, and I I feel like that's kind of interesting because after there there have been a lot of people in um the troop who. Like I'm the first person they came out to because like I I'm like if if people don't walk in that door at the office at rehearsals or trainings or auditions and see me and go oh he's a queer man um, then I'm doing it wrong like I try to make it <laughs> very obvious um, for the I'm sake not of trying to camouflage here excuse no, you excuse you I'm a, I might as well be a peacock wait wrong character um, <laughs> wrong, wrong one wrong wrong one sorry sorry <laughs> um, but it's um, you know if they see that and then are bothered by it, then I don't want them to, you know, say. Yeah. But there have been people that, you know, I, I never, I try not to live with the mentality of straight until proven otherwise, but mm-hmm. it's very ingrained in our culture. Yeah. And I'm unlearning that. But when you message me, you're like, hey, I would love to talk about this and that. I was like, oh, 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 you too. Oh, oh, well, look at that. Okay. <laughs> And it was just like, it was like this weird, like excitement. Of, oh, yay, another one, you know, like more. And yeah. for some reason, when we talked about it, I remembered the one show we did together. Mm-hmm. Your ride along. Yeah. You were Pat Menatar and I was Poison, which was honestly one of the, the best 80s shows I've ever done. It is. Um, it was so much fun. Um, because just for context to people listening, um, the character I played was the very womanizing rock star, but I don't play him as a womanizer. I play him as more of a, hey, you live, you breathe, you seem interested in me, let, let's shag. Um, <laughs> and yeah. he's just a mess. And then Kaylee, you played Pat Minotaur, mm-hmm. uh, the up and coming rock star. Yep. And who like, it, it seems very much main focus is career. And while Poison is just like, yeah, it's like being famous is the fun part. I don't want to work for it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and I just remember like me flirting with all the ladies and even some of the dudes at the party and you like reining me in going, what are you doing? Like, stop. Right. Your girlfriend is right there, Poison. Like, are you stupid? And like, for some reason, when we started talking about this, I remembered that show and it was like, <laughs> That really works for Pat, too. <laughs> like, and it's one of those things that, like, I... One, one of the things I've, like, that's bothered me that I've realized recently is that asexual representation in theater and in these kind of very in-the-moment, in-your-face, interactive forms of theater, it's hard to represent well, like, if your writers or whoever does not understand that experience because it's so easy to fall down the trap of oh, if you're asexual, then the, like kind of that, it's not a love focus for you. So that makes it harder for someone to make a BS way of, this is what this character wants. Yeah. It's, it's a, when you take that off the table, it's like, oh God, we have to think about something else they could want passionately. Ugh. Like. Yeah. It's and and like, I, think, I think it's why it doesn't exist as much. It's It's a difficult experience to explain if you don't, live that or know someone that lives it and have that kind of understanding of what is important we're on that value scale of what what is a big part of my life where do those things place themselves uh because it's usually very different than than not just uh, cishet and everything else but just any allosexual like 
that that bracket gets um, put together differently. And yeah. so it's it's reorganizing priorities in a sense of how you write characters. Yeah, and it's also one of those things too where I feel like this could actually be something that we t- discuss um, is that when it comes to things like um, asexual representation, mm-hmm. it's usually done in very specific ways and it's always like the same ways it's you have like the sheldon cooper from big bang theory yeah very cold very no i'm too smart for for sexual interactions or you have like the emotionally stunted like you have like bbc sherlock where a lot of people Mm -hmm. code him as asexual where it's like um no, he's got better things to worry about. He thinks he's better than everyone else. Like no one else deserves him, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Like that sort of thing. Um, Where it's like, no, it's just a genuine difference. And it's kind of like, you know, again, like with Nessa being Mm -hmm. like asexual and um, I guess a little tmi but we're on the topic um but like with with me being bisexual it's more like i'm even watching myself as i get older Mm -hmm. me swaying more like i have very aesthetic attraction like i will see someone and go oh yeah but then like oh yeah the thought of actually like anything beyond smooching them i'm like that's not what i meant that's not like no and just knowing nessa would much rather sit and read a transformers comic or sit and play video games than anything physical and yeah i'm like i'm a okay with that like i am like that sounds like a great time to me you know and it, 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 she's still a person with right desires it's not this cold i'm better than everyone it's not mm-hmm. this i don't understand human connection it's it's right. very just it's just not there. And well, the old fashioned, like the old, old fashioned term for it used to be frigid because that was the, the take on it was just, you seemed like a very cold, distant person at social gatherings. You were frigid uh, mm-hmm. code word. But um, I've, I've actually been rewatching Sherlock. We're on a, a rewatching binge because we're like, God, I miss when I first got serotonin from this in 2012. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, but like looking at his character study in particular, it's like Benedict does, does a very good job of showing that like, yes, he's a cold individual just at a personality level, like the yeah. work, he's married to the work, but Sherlock himself, like you see that he has these moments of attraction towards people that pique his interest. Yeah. Uh, like not just sexual attraction, but like there's a reason that like, uh, like John particularly, uh, the woman and, um, Oh gosh, what's her name? The the bridesmaid, the the head bridesmaid yeah. uh, at the wedding. Yeah. Like even she, she kind of gets those reactions from him that he would like the, the looks or the sort of it taking in of information that he would give to Irene Adler. Like you see this kind of okay, then what connects all those type of people at a base level of I'm attracted to you in some capacity versus just the purely physical or sexual. Uh, be, be just kind of because that's how. Sometimes, like, again, it's not every single person. I kind of identify with that of just, this is how my brain interprets, like, I can tell I'm attracted to this. Like, my my current partner, would, before we started dating, I pined hard, and it was very bad, uh, a little bit self-destructive. Oh. But it was, it was that kind of, like, I, like, I still enjoy spending time with you, and I still enjoy our discussions, and I love just hanging out with you as a person, and I don't want to damage that because I can't stop this feeling. 
uh, and eventually it worked. Yeah. But not the path I would recommend for everyone. But it's it's that realization of like I first and foremost really just love you as a person and what you're interested in and the things that we have in common. Um, and then maybe maybe the 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 smooching and the shagging comes later. Maybe it depends on again what that preference is of like either because it's again it's not that asexuality means no sex it just means it's not important or right. uh in some cases i'm completely repulsed by it yeah uh, but not always um so it just is it's a little bit restructured uh word worldview and like dating understanding i guess yeah. just understanding the priorities that some people have like everyone has priorities in a relationship Mm-hmm. everyone has things that are important to them. Like, you know, the, the fact that I put so much importance on ambition in a partner, like I can't be with someone who's not ambitious and it, it, it we don't have to be ambitious in the same things. Mm-hmm. As long as they're ambitious. Yes. That is a huge thing and key. And some people don't care about yeah. how ambitious their partner is. And that's how things like sex should be treated in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, sex is very important in a relationship. Okay, well, it's not really that important to me. And sometimes you can have two people, like I know asexual people who think that it's like sex is fun, Yeah. but they're not driven to seek it out. But mm-hmm. like if their partner wants to have sex and they're like, okay, yeah, let's have a good bonding right. time, you know, let's that. Uh. And then as you said, there are some people who are asexual who's like, I don't know, none, mm-hmm. whether that's on a sliding scale that sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. You know, and it's from person to person. And I also think it's important that sexuality is fluid mm-hmm. and that it changes for some people as they get older um, yeah. or just through discovery. And I think that good, solid, and diverse representation is mm-hmm. really important. But as you said, especially when someone is, I actually forgot the term allosexual existed, so thank you. If someone <laughs> is allosexual, and has doesn't know anyone who's ace or like doesn't know someone who is ace under the ace umbrella well yeah it's so easy to fall into the cliches that you see with i'm primarily going to stick with sheldon because i i I hear a lot of people say that he was written into a relationship later when they were like oh this will work great we'll just give the two nerds love like the nerds of the nerds and it's that like okay come on like you're both of these are fantastic actors and this is what you're giving them like come on yeah and it's one of those things where when i sit and think like what is good asexual representation? I gotta think for a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, no characters come to mind. You know? Honestly, for me, it's mostly, it's, it's, I'm already a cartoon nerd, but an, I've stuck with animation for so long because I think I subconsciously have identified with animated characters more than real characters. I mean, same. Probably for that reason of like, oh, somehow we could express humanity more authentically through cartoons than with our real life actors maybe we should start writing things differently but um alistair and has been hotel is one of the big new like championing uh animated characters uh, who is asexual and is confirmed asexual and the creator has been very specific about like i mean yeah fans can do what they want with this character but in canon 
Like, he is not interested in a relationship with these two characters that people are fighting over. Like, that's not his thing. Like, he is fully ace. Yeah. And it's like, I think it's also important that um, there are, and like, you kind of mentioned this earlier with the romanticizing a, wanting a romantic relationship and stuff. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who are, um, asexual like to the nth degree but are very romantic people mm-hmm. you know that there is also it is important to note d- this is mostly aimed at like hey creators you can do this with your characters yeah. but also like hey two ace people you can want a romantic relationship mm-hmm. because a romantic relationship doesn't need mm-hmm. sexual interaction to be intimate you know there's right. so many ways of being intimate um and whether it's sitting and playing video games together or yeah. brushing someone's hair or sending texts, it, it can be whatever you want it to be. And media just doesn't portray that well. No, it's, it's very frustrating because it's, again, like it, it is those simple kind of wholesome things a lot of people think of first whenever they're just like, I want a relationship like this. It's that, like, that's honestly what a lot of, like, ace and demi people are also after. Like, again, like, some people that do experience it to that nth degree just say, I'm fine by myself. I just like having a good group of friends, and I don't really need a romantic anything with anyone. But uh, a lot of the people that I I know as well as myself are very much like a, I've always wanted a relationship. Like, that, that just mushy, like, Disney romantic, like, oh, we could wake up and have coffee together and then I can just send you memes from across the breakfast table and it'll be perfect. Um, that but- sounds amazing. <laughs> that, that is, like, the dream relationship. Like, what? That's, that's how I currently uh, torture Ian from the other room is just, I'm sitting at my desk and I will just send him memes, TikToks, everything, and all in the span of two minutes and then put my phone down and call out to the other room. Uh, but <laughs> that's, that's basically it for the most part. But, but like, it's those ideas that people like romanticize on Pinterest and like meme back and forth on Facebook of like, tag yourself, I like this, this, and this. And it's that like that still applies to to the asexual experience, and honestly, that makes up the bulk of it. And it's definitely, I think, how how you realize how people prioritize, like not just individuals close to them, but also like in that sense of whether you're seeking someone in in uh, either like a domestic or romantic relationship. It's that like what what are you about? What is something that we connect with and connect deeply? over or or have that kind of connection just based on our experiences together um that it's it's that like (laughs) sometimes sex is like i mean i think i like the idea of this and now we're here and i want to go home (laughs) yeah it's like i'm tired i (laughs) that's that's the thing i i had a conversation with a coworker who is i i love her to death she's one of the most chaotically bi women i've ever met in my life and we were discussing like relationships and she she kind of questioned if she was demi in in college she's like i think i am a little bit but i don't know and she's and i'm sort of just off the cuff just went it's okay i've still been trying to figure out if i'm just lazy or demi like i did <laughs> it's that kind of like i don't know we had like two bowls of pasta for dinner eh. 
Yeah. And like, and and a thing that has happened to me uh, a few times personally, I don't know if this has ever happened with Mm -hmm. you, um, is that uh, like my friend group is the kind of friend group that's very open about our intimate lives, right? We sit and we swapped embarrassing stories or like, hey, I got laid last night. Like, (laughs) I was like, I got one of my friends laid and he bought me like a $30 bottle of bourbon. And I'm like, I didn't mean to get you laid. I'll take the booze, but like, thanks. I didn't mean to hook you up with someone. Like, I'll take it. I'm not complaining, but like, okay, thanks. (laughs) As long as you had a good time and it was consensual. Oh yeah, no. (laughs) Apparently they had a great time for like 10 solid hours. And I was like, how but it was a thing where because we're so open with each other in this friend group that it's very like my partner and I aren't physically active Mm -hmm. with you know very often and we are very okay with that you know it it, it almost it would feel forced most of the time if we did it like not not forcing each other but like forcing ourselves that's honest that's the hardest thing I've ever had to explain because it's not like no it's not like it's not consensual. It's literally just trying to convince my body this is something we want to participate in right now. Like yeah. it's not, it's not like a no, I don't want to have sex with you. It's just the I don't want to have sex. No, we we do. We love this person. We at least have energy. We want to do this. Come on. Like Yeah. It's like the it's brain a, wants it. It's it's a I always it's Rene Descartes. It's the duality of the human experience of just going why are my body and brain not on the same page here? Like, can yeah. we get something coordinated, please? <laughs> For once in our lives, can we coordinate here? Please. And, but it's like, you know, when you talk about it, and there have been many times where I've told friends, cis, uh, cishet friends, but also queer friends, mm-hmm. of like, yeah, no, we haven't been physically intimate or sexually intimate in like four or five months. Yeah. And just because it's like, eh, I'd rather cuddle. Eh, I'd rather, I got other things to do. Eh, I'm tired. Have you seen the state of the world? The world's burning. I don't want to <laughs> bother with this. And then the friends being like, are you serious? Oh my God, that right. sucks. But like, are you okay? Yeah. It's like, are you guys like, okay? And it's like, we're actually kind of better than ever. <laughs> like, we're very happy. We had like mm-hmm. a dinner date on the back porch. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, and it, it almost, and it's like, you know, they mean well. Because they don't mm-hmm. understand. But, and in their mind, that kind of thing can mean that a relationship's on the rocks if you're not right physically. But it's like, it's not that way for everybody. It's, that's the thing that's like, I, it's something I've noticed, like, and especially just like observing relationships, like in real life and on stage, we always very much associate a sense of physicalness, like whether it's active touching or just closing the physical space. Uh, like if you're staging something, like real life or otherwise like that's how we associate oh they like each other they're into each other they are always close they are touching um or or symbolically it's like oh look they're moving farther apart on stage they're not close anymore oh last five years wow um (laughs) but but it's it's that sense of like just because you are not physically in contact or constantly doing something physical does not mean that relationship doesn't exist it's just there in a different level of occupying space yeah which if that's not how you're attuned to the world is kind of tricky to grasp because then they're like okay so you're just bsing that your relationship is on the decline like no that's that's not what i mean 
Yeah. Um, it, it is such a, like, obviously as very social creatures, like humans like touch most of the time. We like having that closeness with someone or multiple people, but it, it's still that, that's how we signify it the most. So finding other signifiers that are normalized would probably start to make sense for more people in that regard. That it's not just, if you're not doing any of these five things, they're not interested in you. Sorry. Like, yeah, it's become so cut and dry. It's like, but that's not how people work. Yeah. And like you also see in, in shows where it's like, oh, my wife and I haven't had sex in weeks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's like, you know, Nessa and I used to be physically intimate all the time. Very mm-hmm. physically active. And now we're engaged and we just don't. But we're still very much in love. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the relationship's healthier now than it was then, you know? And it's right. just, and it changes for people. But yeah, you, as you said, there's like a checklist. Yeah. That's usually very, it's less cishet nowadays a little yeah. bit. That part's but, getting better. Yeah, but it's still very allosexual. It's still very, oh, you, you got a bone to, to mm-hmm. love. Like, <laughs> you, got, you got to do this step in order to unlock the love. Sorry, you, you did not get this achievement. No, nope, uh, sorry. <laughs> you, you can't level up until... Uh, that is a critical miss. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is a nat one um, <laughs> no. on your love roll. My, my charisma was so high. <laughs> you just crit failed. Um, so. Honestly, I have a theory, like, for so, I think it goes beyond, like, queer, ace, gay, any experience, but I have a theory that if more people just played Dungeons and Dragons or other RPGs, they would start to become more informed about how the world operates, because, and, and this is where I think actors kind of, like, steal that show a little bit, obviously, is because you have to play people with lived experiences and lived out lives that exist outside of the world of uh, that moment in the play. But like playing another character, being another person allows you to start thinking about stuff outside of yourself, even if you don't realize it at first. Yeah. Like the, thinking about where I was the first time I started playing D and D to like now the kind of characters I'm making and then still want to continue to make and explore. It's a really good, like not just, actor tool building thing but also just person tool building of oh in this kind of situation how does a person like this navigate their world based on the things that they believe in they hold on to or that make up who they are yeah and like i've always said that things like theater and dnd are very important especially for for everyone but i think especially for like kids because it boosts Mm -hmm. early on development of like empathy and stuff like that but like no as you said like okay for example in the real world and you know this you've met me like four times and i'm sure you know this i am a squishy marshmallow of a man like (laughs) i i don't handle confrontation well i Mm -hmm. try and be sweet as pie to everyone i meet but in D&D and in murder mystery parties, I always play the jerk. <laughs> and it's kind of this thing of when I'm playing like Salfie in a murder mystery show, I'm like, he is obsessed with his own image, with money, and wants mm-hmm. to, and is the kind of person who wants to rub it in everyone's faces. Why? And then actually acting that out. And, you know, it's very character like uh, it's like a caricature a lot of the murder mystery characters are caricatures so maybe that's not the best example but like in mm-hmm. D, I typically play characters who 
their trauma affected them in kind of the opposite way it affected me. Hmm. So like my traumas made me a lot more sensitive and hmm. squishy and people pleasing. I typically play characters whose trauma made them very cold and very, I don't want to get close to people, very like intentionally riling people up just because they think it's funny. Like mm -hmm. the things that I, and it, it, it kind of makes me more aware. Like I didn't even realize it until just a few years ago. I was like, Wow, like I knew logically that things like that affect people differently, but like mm -hmm. then I kind of put myself in their shoes, and that can be when like I've heard of people realizing they're trans because of D and D. Yeah, you know, like they play a female character, and they're like, "Wow, no, like this, th this, this is what I want," and so it's what it's it's one of those tools that's like I I would love to uh, at like a graduate level of study, like kind of look at that line between like what constitutes uh like uh, like theater as therapy uh and uh, uh drama therapy and like where kind of like things like D&D &D blend and meld into that world because like that's a tool I would love to use and just like explore with like different age groups of just like yeah what are you guys just kind of like feeling through here like what are you vibing with because if you're not thinking about it, you make more interesting discoveries, like at whatever age you're making a character, whether it is just for a game or for a show, like you just just go, you just jump, yeah. uh, which is really hard to do if you're not just used to that. Like, yeah, it's it, like I've always kind of been a when you say jump, I say how high. But when you say just jump, I've start I've gotten a lot better at just going, just jump it. And they will tell you if you need to jump higher yeah. uh, and just find something that works that you can latch on to. Yeah. Because um, it shouldn't have to be like, there is nothing relatable here unless right. it's a poorly written character at that yeah. point. But <laughs> even then you can still save it. You can still find ways to save that. Yeah. If you, if you kind of dig around and start thinking outside the box of it. Yeah. Well, sorry, when you were talking about that, you know, there's that joke of everyone's played a session where the big baddie was the DM's dad. Like, you know, that there's that joke that floats around. And uh, like, you know, there's that joke that floats around where it's like, you know, oh, you have to fight the D the, the big baddie is like one, someone from the DM's past right. or something like that. I've done that <laughs> twice. Like, <laughs> I was the DM and I was like, oh shoot. And you're right. People use that cathartically. And yeah. when it's something in a media that's being shared beyond mm -hmm. just like a group of friends around a table yeah. with pizza, 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 and nachos. Pika, pika. <laughs> you do that much better than pika, I do. Pika, Oh yeah, so Kaylee's, a voice, Kaylee's a voice actor. <laughs> I like realized like, oh wait, we never did touch that. I, I'm that, that dumbass that's like, I could imitate this character. Let me throw this in and just scare the crap out of anyone not paying attention. Because <laughs> I think you did that at a rehearsal at one point and I literally broke character and was like, how did you do that? <laughs> I think I did. GLaDOS is always one of my favorite ones to do that with. Oh, it's you. It's been a long time. How have you been? I've been really busy being dead. You know, after you murdered me. <laughs> you can't see me, but I'm losing my mind. Oh my god, sorry, I love Portal. <laughs> That was so good. That, that's what I like to do for fun is torture friends with voices. Um. No, that's the, that, if you're not doing that, then you're not voice acting right, honestly.
But again, it's that like you, like one of the biggest, and I'm surprised I haven't talked about this as an actor more, but like one of the biggest things that I think helped me realize how you throw yourself into life and to theater as both person and actor is just trying voices. Because like, if you want to go into voice acting, that's the thing they always say is like, you're going to just, you have to try it. You have to try finding your voice, find what's comfortable for you, find things you can imitate. And so being able to just kind of sit in my room, like if my parents were still at work and just kind of like watch, watch shows, play games and go, I like the sound of that and start playing with those voices a little bit and not be like, okay, there's nobody listening to me. Thank God. Yeah. Like, ha- just again, throw yourself into it. It might not sound great at first, but you'll find it if you're, if you're listening and actively reshaping it as, I mean, anything. I think that's kind of just the general life. If you, if you toss yourself in, you can probably start to like pull yourself up in a matter of minutes if you keep going with it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when, when you do voices and there's also like, I do accents that I know are not Mm -hmm. accurate, which is why I would pursue something more like cartoons and video games or like my quote, New York accent. Oh my God. I walk into a room full of New Yorkers and start talking like this. I'm going to get the kicked out of me. Like that's not, but I mean the best, the best I got is from Newsies and you know, I ain't sure how accurate it is nowadays, but uh, it's still a fun dialect. Oh, it is so much fun. Especially like, you know, you got the gangsters with it. You got, again, you got Mm -hmm. like Newsies, you got, it's a fun voice, but man, I practiced it so long. (laughs) I was kind, I tried, I was trying to emulate Spinel from Steven Universe because I was like, I was like, I like that voice, Mm -hmm. but oh my God, no, finding references for that specific voice is Mm -hmm. so hard because you like english accent you know uh southern dialect like are you looking for the you're looking for the more west virginia drawl or are you trying to go more like the deep south the the antebellum south or are you just looking for a drawl that a lot of people still use today because that's just how you talk right so it's like what you know but like when you got a voice like this, like, how do I look up? Because this ain't Jersey. This ain't really New York. This ain't what you're going to find. So it's going to well, just... See, my, my thing was always Cockney because the first major show I did in college was uh, I played Nellie Gwynn, uh, who's a real-life mistress to uh, uh, King Charles II. Uh, she was an actress. So uh, our, our director was very, very particular with our dialects, with how much actual Cockney sound we were making versus just... Okay, now I really can't understand fucking what you say. So pull back a little bit so I can get some diction out of your mouth. Okay, uh, so so playing with just what's actually intelligible versus what you have to sacrifice to make the character work. Yeah. So it's that like hardly any time is the accent fully real, like what you're gonna hear in real life. Because uh, even even just the like this is the way I naturally talk. I'm very auditory focused, so I'm always like. I'm finishing my my ends of words and I'm making clear sounds because that's what I latched onto apparently of like, this is important to me. And people were always like, oh my God, where are you from? You don't have an act, like, are you from, like, are you from the Midwest? Where are you from? It's just like, I'm from Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I well, just, you've gone so far south, you're north again. It's It's that like middle of the state where no dialect exists because there's so many just stuck together. Yeah. Uh, and also just like a, I like being able to just 
be that kind of, ooh, you have no idea where I'm from. Nothing gives me away. Yeah. And it's like, it was funny. It's, you know, I'm, I'm from the Midwest, but I'm from the Southern Midwest. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've never seen me drunk and you've also never seen me angry. So you don't mm-hmm. know how like it, but like I, I do have a twang that comes out yes. when I'm either very excited, very angry, or very drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also noticed that like the, just the way I say things, like, you know, certain words, I'll have the G, but like when I'm saying like when I'm getting away with something, like the mm-hmm. end's cut off. And so a lot of people are like, you do, because like certain things you say, but then other things, I'm like, that's the Midwest, baby. I, we don't know. <laughs> like, we don't know either. Like, what is dialect, but a, oh, oh, what's the quote from Castlevania? What is a man, but a miserable pile of lies? What is dialect, but a miserable pile of lies? It honestly is, because even what we as Americans think of as the stereotypical British sound, that Downton Abbey, that Pride and Prejudice, that RP dialect, it's actually not real. Uh, RP doesn't exist in England. This was a sort of made-up, pretentious sound that we curated based on other pretentious sounds and put them all together and played them all in Mary Poppins. So that's what you think of when you think of a pretentious English person. And that's not how anyone talks from England nowadays. Like, it's no. so relaxed. There's none of that stress really in any of the words. No. Depending on the region you're from, that changes within half a mile. But... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, and it's, it's dialects kinda... are all fake. <laughs> but it's so funny no. how fiction media has affected the way we perceive accents. Because yeah, like mm-hmm. the English accent, like I know that the English accent that I do is very fictional English. It's mm-hmm. very what you imagine to hear in like Harry Potter or something. Yeah, you know, because that's how I learned it. I learned it from making Hermione Granger because I wanted yeah. to be her when I was a kid. You know, and it's very fantasy RPG English. Mm-hmm. So I like when I perform for people who are from England. I never use the accent. Like, even they're like, do an accent. We suggest English. I'm like, how about no, bro? Because I'm just... <laughs> how about no? <laughs> because if it was with other Americans, then it would likely be, oh, that's an English accent. To an English person, like, what the... Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, American. Like, way to go. <laughs> like, you know? I did. My, my high school got invited to perform with other high schools uh, for the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, this was back in 2014. And... You know, I just graduated high school, so it was this like, yeah, trip abroad, let's go. Like, literally kind of the same emotions of, like, the Spider-Man far from home. Like, we're going to Europe. Yeah. Um, but I, being the, like, dialect voice acty person that I was, I was like, okay, I'm not going to go up and seek people out because that's stupid. But, like, just in conversation that people could hear how many times can I get away with a Scottish accent and like people not really like question it? Yeah. <laughs> Cause like with, with having red hair and being surrounded by a multitude of other reddish haired, just in general pale people, I was like, and I, somewhere in my mom's family, like is that English, Welsh, Scottish that I'm like, this is technically my homeland. Let's see how well I can blend in now. <laughs> And just for fun yeah like it was just one of those like yeah we'll try it see if anyone really cares but when you're 18 it's that like chaotic being in europe energy that you're like haha this is a master plan yeah it's like oh i'm so brilliant no one's ever done this before (laughs) no one's ever thought of this (laughs) which is so funny because like when i used to live up in indiana one of the things i would do when i worked the drive-through at a fast food place was just Mm -hmm. do different voices while taking people's orders at taco bell yes and 
So like when someone would come up, I'd be like, you know, hi there, welcome to Taco Bell. Can I take your order? Like, you know, no one batted an eye because it was south enough in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, whatever. But then one time I was like, no, I, I want to throw someone off. Someone comes to the theater, hello, welcome to Taco Bell. How can I take your order? You know, and <laughs> this is a small Indiana town. Right. And the, the person was like, uh, um, uh, I'll have a, uh, like, just, uh, but like if I did that in England, they'd be like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> I think uh, it's right where I keep wanting to go to Irish. It's not that. It's because the last major dialect show I was a part of, I wasn't even in, but I helped an actor with it. it was um, um, a long day's journey into night. So I helped uh, one of my my colleagues uh, with her Irish dialect. Um, no, what gets me back into Scottish is always is Merida, which a lot of people sort of criticize about her Scottish. Uh, being sort of Americanized because it's Disney producing a movie, but uh, that's always one of the like sort of what are my okay how, what what are my my trigger sounds that get me back there? Yeah, uh, is is that so? I'd sort of uh, fumble around a little bit with with this dialect. I keep wanting to go into Irish. No, uh, that's the trick though. Once you have too many in your head, you got to juggle them carefully, or else they yeah. all bleed together, and it just sounds like garbage. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, like when we were, um, so in one of the shows we do for the Murder Mystery Company is a show called Most Wonderful Crime. And um, I would play the stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd, you know, I'd walk out talking like this, hey, you know, I'm just here to make you all laugh, even though I'm a really bad comedian. But then if I didn't have enough time to go from this to the Southern, it, mm-hmm. it is so hard. See, I can't. It's it is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I, I have to give myself time because I got to lean into it. I got to smooth into it, and mm-hmm. because the way your mouth moves, and unfortunately, the three accents I do are very similar in the way my mouth moves—English, mm-hmm. Southern, and whatever the frick that first one was. Like my mouth New moves. New York? Very sim- question mark <laughs> slash Italian <laughs> slash mob mafia something right. cartoon character like <laughs> the amount of times i do a death of a gangster and they're like where are you from and i'm like new york <laughs> they're like we're from in new york they're like we're from in new york i and then I, I i just cover my name tag and go i've never been to new york i'm, I'm just mimicking cartoons right now <laughs> and usually right. they're like we could tell <laughs> I think my, my favorite was, uh, I took French in high school. Uh, so I, I learned to speak French, but I also learned how to do a decent enough English with French dialect. So when we got into learning dialects uh, in, in college, a lot of my, my classmates were sort of having this trouble with French without having ever spoken it. So it's a lot of weird, uh, as you say, gargling of vowels. Uh, but then I, I sort of had this like, oh, ho, ho, I can I can jump from French. It's very light in every voice. And then I can teach you how to speak Russian pretty decently as dialect. Uh, it's, it's a little strange to jump into because if you're not careful with Russian, then it starts to blend into Italian. If you're not watching how fast your vowels are moving and where your consonants are. So it's just, you, you travel through Europe faster than you expect if you're trying to find what you're looking for and have nothing to latch on to. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but you know sometimes it leads to just very interesting moments of I have no idea what my voice is either maybe even 
mm, maybe this is a character choice now. Yeah. Like, oh, no. One time, the first time I ever did the wedding show, I was playing a character, um, Dick Johnson, right? The, 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 uh, the, he's a wedding singer, right? And so yeah. I go up there and I talk with this. It's not, it's not Cockney, but it's, it's Southern, you know, English sort of mm-hmm. whatever. It's uh, Liverpool, probably. Yeah, some, uh, something like that. Like, sort of the Beatles kind of yeah, sound. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going for, but it's not that good. But everyone knew, like, oh, okay, he's the English wedding singer. And I went up during a lineup and I think it was my second lineup and I didn't realize just because of how my mouth moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until I heard myself talking to the microphone that I was actually talking like this. Oh no. And so, cause I did my first lineup like this, my cocktail hour like this. And then I go into the microphone and I'm talking like this. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> And, it was, and Perry was the detective on the show. Oh, Perry. <laughs> and it was looking at me. And as soon as that lineup was over, I like I realized what I'd done. So immediately I'm still talking like this again, yeah? And they're like, what? <laughs> I was like, newsflash, I have neither of those accents. It's so interesting, like, how people latch on to, to dialect and to sound. Like, either they're not paying attention at all and have, like, this weird Twilight Zone, like something is different but i can't quite tell versus like it's either that or it's a very auditory focused person who's recognizing that change immediately but there's so very few of those people it's just this general sense of uncomfortable like what did am i imagining something here like (laughs) that's not what you sounded like five minutes ago (laughs) am i going crazy or did your voice just change like drastically where what state are you from now england (laughs) England. (laughs) i'm from the state of england thank Uh, you the, the great state of england oh goodness no but uh, we are running out low on time. Yes. <laughs> um, we got very distracted. No, I, we, oh, we knew this would happen. It's been yeah. fun and that's the main part. Yeah. Um, so before I go, there's a question that I ask all of my guests. Yes. Is if you met either yourself earlier on or mm-hmm. someone who is kind of fumbling with getting that um, connection when playing an Alo mm-hmm. character and they don't experience that, um, or just trying to make that connection to media or just within themselves. Yeah. What sort of advice would you part for them? Definitely don't feel like you have to prescribe to what the binary is, because even if you don't understand what is or isn't in the binary, a lot of things around you actually are and no one has been able to explain that to you. So just not feeling like you have to fit into this ideal picture, even if you know there's like two or three paths down each side that like what you feel is the right way to approach something. If, if it's a question about what am I, what, what am I as myself going to do about this? It just, just trust trust your gut and maybe maybe if there's a little anxiety overlapping that can be hard to do sometimes but trying to as comfortably as you can push through that and find what's outside of the handful of things the people around you have shown you and see that there's a lot more there's a lot of other ways to be doing what's right for you and what is what feels right to keep doing yeah i think that's great and that can apply to so many things Mm -hmm. but that's 
no, that's so important to just not constrict yourself to what society has pushed as expectations. And Mm -hmm. whether you're ALO, but still queer, or if you are, you know, aromantic or ace, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, you know. So thank you so much for for joining me this has been a lot of fun oh thank you for having me (laughs) good to finally see you again after all these months (laughs) uh is there anywhere on social media that these fine listeners can find you uh yes as a matter of fact uh i am on instagram at uh ginger underscore menace uh i am on twitter uh at uh kaylee underscore r underscore h uh i'm not as very active on my as I am other social media. Sorry. Uh, I'm also on uh, TikTok every once in a while. I believe also at ginger underscore menace. Uh, and I have a Facebook page that I'm trying to revive from the dead fairly soon. Uh, that is ginger menace cosplay uh, that I'm trying to bring that back from the brink now that I have sewing machine and craft station and materials to make things again so we'll see and time and time yes that's the beauty now is that we have materials set up we have a microphone here so hopefully fingers crossed in the future actually getting back into making more projects uh, I've, always, I've loved during quarantine being able to be part of things like this and like other projects where i could still do something but now it's that like okay I'm ready. I'm going to do the thing now and I'm going to bring other people with me. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, thank you. If you're listening to this on YouTube, I will put those links in the description below. Um, if you are listening to this elsewhere, then you can look down and I'll just type it out so you can see the, 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 um, the handle to search. And thank you so much for listening. And please be sure to check back every other Friday. We have switch schedules. Uh, every other Friday on Pinecast, Spotify, YouTube, and slowly spreading to wherever else you get your podcasts. And we have a new podcast. By the time you listen to this, it will have already, the pilot will have already gone up. There is a podcast that is made by moi and a few other people who have been on the show called Jar of Rebuke, very inspired by Welcome to Night Vale, SCPs, uh, The Lore Podcast by Alan Mankey that delves into the horrors of Midwestern United States urban legend and folklore and so the creepy things in the woods and in the cornfields and uh, so you can check that out anywhere you listen to uh, this podcast spooky and, spooky yeah and that podcast will be going up every 7th and 21st please be sure to follow us on Twitter on under Thesperience and Instagram under the Queer Thesperience and if you would like to support this podcast and other queer-led projects, please consider checking us out on Ko-fi or on Patreon. One-time donations are very appreciated on Ko-fi. I just recently learned how to pronounce that. And <laughs> uh, monthly support is very much appreciated on Patreon for fun perks. And we now have an Etsy store where you can see merch that I make for the podcasts and other things like D&D Pride stuff or uh, weird blood splattered things that say oh because midwestern gothic and that's all that that is um, it's either really cute or really creepy but cool and i have no in between in any of the content that i make so thank you so much for listening and remember all the world's a stage so give them one heck of a show i have been your host casper oliver joined by kaylee horowitz and we are signing off Bye-bye. bye-bye
Have you ever wondered what wanders the fields at night? Or have you seen lights out in the woods that you know are not lightning bugs or deer with just a few too many eyes? Well, all of these things are commonplace within the farm town of Wichton. Jar of Rebuke is a Midwestern gothic horror comedy audio drama run by a queer-heavy cast and crew. Delve into the cornfields, explore the woods by the river, and make sure you bring your favorite dish to the local potluck, because Wichton is full of many fine folks for you to meet, creatures for you to encounter, and many mysteries for you to solve. The creatures and hauntings within Jar of Rebuke are all based on real lore and legends from the Midwestern United States, from the black-eyed children to the not-deer to the Michigan melon heads. Follow Dr. Jared Hell's audio journal and his run-ins with these various creatures while trying to remember his forgotten past. With the voices of myself, Casper Oliver, as well as Vanessa Rosengrant, Ashley Kraft, Cecil Fox, and guests like Jason LaRock, Misha Bakshi, and Conrad Mishuk, as well as many, many more, providing their talents to flesh out the world of Wichden, the townsfolk within, and even the supernatural creatures themselves. Compared by listeners to things like Welcome to Night Vale, SCPs, The Magnus Archives, and Tannis, if those things but with a Midwestern Gothic twist seem up your alley, be sure to tune in on every 7th and 21st on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcast fix for new episodes of Jar of Rebuke.